Hey, good people. This is an inaugural episode of a podcast that me and Carolyn Morissette are going to be doing. No title yet. Uh, just know that we are your two favorite horror aunties talking about movies that one of us is obsessed with, but we both enjoyed. I'm Ashley, if I didn't say so. And hi, Carolyn. Hi, Ashley. <laughs> so today I'm going to be leading the discussion on my favorite current right now is called Sella and the Spades. It's from 2019. Uh, it is written and directed by Teresha Poe. And the synopsis is five factions run the underground life of Haldwell School, a prestigious East Coast boarding school. At the head of the most powerful faction, the Spades, sits Sella Summers, walking the line between being feared and loved. This movie stars Lovey Simone as Sella, Jarell Jerome as Maxie, who you may know from Moonlight and When They See Us, uh, Celeste O'Connor as Paloma, and Anna Mulvey 10 as Bobby, Jesse Williams as Headmaster Banton, Nick, I can hardly pronounce her name correctly, but I will try. I think it is Nekbet Combe Juke as Nuri, Evan Rowe as Tutom, Francesca Noel as Amber B, Henry Hunter Hall as Tarrant, and Gina Torres as Maybell. So, uh, Carolyn, I'll first start with you. Um, how did you come about Sela and the Spades um, and your first experience with it? Well, you had actually mentioned it to me because I know you were saying like you loved this movie and then you kind of put it on my radar. So when I first watched it, I was I, I kind of was blown away that it was mostly a cast of color and um, it wasn't about race. It was more about basically how these kids moved around in their social circles and it was about the I guess the politics of being in this school it was like this own little their own little bubble and I thought that was really fascinating like I was kind of worried that it was going to be because sometimes you know you have to have a certain energy to watch a film about race and it can be a little bit exhausting after but this time it was really refreshing that it was based on characters of color but there was a bit more depth to it. So yeah, I think I was really impressed by that. I always struggle with the concept of a movie that stars mostly black or people of color uh, as it's not being about race as a selling point. And I'll say why, because um, I think that in these films when, especially with black creatives, when they're casting people of color or black people at the center, black people at the center come more commonly, we can, we can probably argue. Uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's not really the, they're just writing a movie about life and about humanity. And I think us as, or me specifically, I'll speak for myself as a person of color, as a person of color, I consider myself black. I, I, don't really say POC for me, but POC for other people if that's comfortable for you. But as a black, as a black critic, as a black person looking at these films, it's the movie is always going to like for, through my lens, it's going to always be encoded with these kind of racial markers. There may be cultural, there may be a uh, black cultural touchstones that I may see in these particular characters, and the way they wear their hair, and the way they speak, any kind of dialect they might have, the way that they're. Uh, sometimes their relationships, with, their relationships with other people, more specifically their family or people who look like them. So I kind of see these things, or that, or the conflict dynamics. Sometimes it's, I can't help but kind of like see these kind of things at play. Like sp specifically with Bobby and Sella, like it's not. It, it could be argued. Not it's not. Oh, it's not anywhere near overt because they do have like a real problem and a real barrier between the two of them. But mm -hmm. there's this kind of. But to me, there's this kind of like under there's this subtext of this white chick doesn't like that this black girl 
is uppity. Like, I, like honestly, like that is kind of sometimes those are the kinds of things that I'm kind of seeing in these in films like this. Um, again, it's not right or wrong. It's just kind of a personal kind of a twinge where I'm just like, eh, it's not about race, but there's we can definitely have that conversation. I think it's not it's not preachy, and it's not like trying to like tell you about race relations. It just it just kind of it it just is. And and yeah. as I think as as people of color or black people, we can have that discourse because we can see things that maybe other people can't see. Yeah, and I think that subtlety of it all, like where it's not kind of this is about race, but it it really does show, you know, the subtle like microaggressions and things that happen to black people and people of color every day. It kind of did that really nicely without having pushed at you all the time. And yeah, I think that because these girls are so visibly black and they're not, they're not like writing a character who you know is supposed to be white, but then they're just kind of sticking a black actor in there just because they want a quota. Like, that's not what it is. You can just, it's just, it's really organic, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess for all intents and purposes here, we're just, I, between your notes and my notes, and again, I think this is kind of be, going to be kind of a thing that kind of happens a lot. Uh, we're going to be jumping around a lot with spoilers, with um, ideas and concepts and symbols that we see in this film and why we think it's, that, that's why we think it's um, such a rich film. And I think before I get started, I didn't kind of say my kind of introduction to this film. I, I saw that Black Star Film Festival here in Philadelphia uh, in 2019. So Black Star happens every summer. It is I think it's, I think it does do uh, like black and people of color. I think it uh, is primary focus on um, filmmakers in that realm who tell, who tell, I think who tell specifically black stories more or less, or, or stories that uh, is centered around black characters or, or people of color characters. And, uh, it was a, it was a really fun experience. Um, we'll get, again, I will get in more into it when we talk, when we talk about it in depth, but yeah, I think my first go around experiencing it, the film, I really, I really enjoyed it. Cause again, it is, I think I like it so much because and I've seen it so many times since it's um, premiered on Amazon is because it has such a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a really, really fresh take on the teen drama. And again, it has like, you know, people of color or black people at the center of it. So that makes it like really just, you, you, you're kind of like, you know, jumping out of your seat a little bit. Cause you're kind of seeing something you've never quite seen before in this way. Yeah. So um, I never really heard, it's funny cause being a word person and, loving vocabulary and loving these kinds of things I never took to the word factions like it's never really swam in my ether and um because it's always been for me it's always been the idea of cliques like in high school there are cliques like that's Mm -hmm. the common thing that the common thing that I've heard when it comes to kind of like teen films so factions was really interesting to me kind of you know gave it a it gave a, it, it set the tone for what the film is going to be. If, it, if we're not using the word clicks, we're using the word factions. And I think maybe that speaks to, again, a broader concept that, like, I, I guess I'll bring up now, honestly, um, this idea that, you know, this is a boarding school. So from my understanding of what boarding schools is, and the and the, the, um, the director, um, Tyresha, she did actually go to a boarding school um, growing up. Um, it's its its own little world. It's, it's, it's this enclave that, you know, it kind of, it's kind of separate from the outside world versus like uh, me. I don't know if you went to a public school, but I went to like a regular ass public school. It's one of the biggest uh, public high schools on the East Coast, one of the biggest. We had like, like, I think at a certain point, there were, I think there were 1,000 freshmen 
and like 5,000 students in total. So we were huge. It was almost its own mini campus, but you were still very connected to the real world. So we are these like raggedy ass kids just being in school, but like we go home at night, you know, we can separate the world in school and then the world when we go home a little, little bit. Um, So I like the idea of them being kind of factions. It seems like, you know, it is, there is this kind of like, you know, sub-government under like, you know, beneath like the adults who think that they have the power. And there's these like group of, this small group of students who really are honing the power of the students. Like the students fear them more than they fear the adult authority. And so like they're the, they're, there's five factions, right? So, I, which I really haven't like unpacked necessarily. So if you have any insight, by all means. So like the, there's like the C, which is run by Tarot and they are, they're the teacher's pets who like, They'll, you know, write a paper for you at the right price. There are the skins who deal in gam- gambling, but it's like uh, they gamble mostly with like uh, school sports. Then there's the bobbies who throw all like the dope underground parties. And then there are the prefects who are kind of the administrations, like th- like they're the uh, the through line. Like they keep, like they make the, the adults in charge think that like, no, everything's peachy keen, everything's cool. Um, and they're kind of like your preppy more, more of your preppies. Uh, and then there are the spades who deal in uh, any kind of uh, drug and alcohol use that like in like not just not just recreation. Like a lot, I think there's it seemed like there were kids also taking like um, stuff for like performance enhancement for like classes and things like that, like Adderall, like anything that can kind of help them keep their focus. But, you know, also, you know, if somebody does want to get high, there's that. If somebody wants to get a little buzz. There's alcohol. So that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then Sella is the head of the spades and she doesn't want to really give that up right but she has to name a successor and that's when paloma comes in yeah like and you have to graduate high school eventually mm-hmm. so um i think it's just i think that the and i think we're, we're going to be talking about this a lot i think it's just the dynamic of power i think is one of the biggest overarching themes of this and i think i think that's what she doesn't want to get rid of it's just like yes she does have to graduate but at the same time she she loves the power that she's been able to harness in this school and then yeah and then paloma her introduction is pretty natural i think we first see paloma she's heading towards the headmaster's uh to his office and Mm -hmm. he kind of does this kind of he's very even keeled he has this kind of like coolness to him and he's kind of just talking about you know we're we're here if you need us as far as like uh you know, getting adjusted to the school because Paloma's a day student. She doesn't stay overnight. So I think Paloma kind of feels like, you know, kind of shrugs and kind of just like, yeah, you know, I'll just get in where I fit in. Like, you know, I, I'm a photographer, so I'm in with the newspaper. So I like doing that. And so, but that's, I think that's also interesting point too, because I think when you see first Paloma and Sella kind of interacting with each other, it's when, I don't know if they're doing, it looks like the, her, her gym, her gym class, so to speak, is doing suicides. I don't know if she's kind of the warm-up for the uh, spirit squads practice or it's that's regular gym class i'm not 100 sure they don't make that clear it doesn't necessarily have to be clear right but mm-hmm. um my unpacking of that particular scene is like you see because paloma's in there she's taking pictures of them and then i think again it's sella was really she wants that she likes control so she sees this girl kind of taking pictures of her and again we always i think there's always this kind of general idea that you're taking an image i think what is it with nate do you know the story about native americans and why they don't like to be photographed i think um uh, i could be wrong but they felt like they were taking their souls so Yeah. yeah so that's why you know being in a photograph was so they were not 
they didn't want to have their photograph taken because it felt like they were taking a piece of them, which is understandable, you know, (laughs) I totally get it. I feel something similar going on a little bit with um, Sela having that, maybe, 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 or maybe not having that kind of understanding, but like, just like, I think she, I think she is really about controlling her own narrative because it's Mm really, and I say that specifically because like, you know, she stops you know, she stops doing her suicides and then she kind of looks at Paloma and goes, hey. Then the next scene, she does this like really fierce speech about control and about having 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 autonomy where mm-hmm. as a 17 year old girl, she doesn't feel like she really has any outside of this space. They make the new kids take our photos because they don't take us seriously. That's a mistake the whole world makes. They never take the girls seriously. So it's like this. When you're 17, and when you're a girl, you've got the whole world telling you what to do with your body. Your mom tells you, change your dress. It's too fast, too short, too shiny. Well, school tells you, cover your shoulders, cover your legs, because they can't tell boys to keep it in their pants. And boys, They're the worst. They tell you they'll only like you if you're impossible. So you got all these people telling you how to wear your skin, making you feel like whatever you want is the wrong slutty thing. And then you've got spirit squad. You know who decides our uniforms? We do. You know who choreographs our routines? We do. We tell you how short our skirts will be. How high and tight our tucks will rain, how spread out we make our equals. I mean, if you got a problem with it, well, honestly, that's never your problem. Because we do it for ourselves. For our control over our bodies. Because when you're 17, you've got to grab onto that control wherever you can and hold tight for dear life. Because they always try and take it from you, don't they? That's so funny that you bring that up because I was watching it yet again. And I realize as she's giving that speech, it's almost as if I don't know if um, the director Poe is is doing this on purpose, but it looks almost as if Sela is breaking the fourth wall. So she kind of she's looking directly into the camera. And so you're like, is she like breaking the fourth wall? Is she giving us the rules? And then they cut to Paloma. And you're like, oh, she's looking at Paloma. But is she really, you know? And is Paloma looking back at us? Are they both breaking the fourth wall? Which also makes me wonder if the director wanted Sela to also control the audience in a way. I don't mm. know. It was just really interesting. Like, I, I was like, wait a minute. I kind of had a revelation. Like, because there are some moments, too, where I think I'm, I'm jumping ahead a bit. But when Bobby and Sela are in the girls' bathroom, before Bobby comes in and you see Sela kind of trying to put on her makeup and she's just looking at herself and she's a little unsure. She's like, like, Mm -hmm. where do I put the blush? And then as soon as Bobby comes in, she kind of pulls herself together and she's that Sela that everybody sees. So it's really interesting how she looks at us. 
she looks at Paloma, we're looking at her. Like it's all these different angles of perception that really, really made it interesting for me. Yeah, I agree. I didn't. Yeah, you're right because I think, and I think she is breaking the um the fourth wall to an extent. And I think you, I I agree with everything you just said because there are instances in the story where she does look at the camera. Um, so I think that is a part of the narrative. Again, I think it's in it's in it's really inviting us into into her humanity because like the first time you watch this you're going to think oh she's just a sociopath and that's mm. really not the case she's but you know, after subsequent uh, viewings you're like no there's more to this this more to this girl especially if you're kind of just looking at that because um because yeah I think in those in her most vulnerable moments even when she is putting on this queen bee posture there mm-hmm. is there is a hint of vulnerability into it. Even in the speech, she talks about being a seven again. She talks about being a seventeen year old girl and like how much do you really have when you're seventeen? How much you know emotional maturity or control or weight over who you are and what you do? It, it seems to be you know it, se- it seems it seems like everyone's kind of pulling your strings. It's your parents. It's it's uh, it's your teachers. It's boys. It's all of these things that you don't want and like you don't. It's almost like you don't get a chance to understand who you are and know what you want. And I think Spirit Squad for her helps her find that. I think I think it's a part of what helps her find it. Of course, just a part, but it's a good introduction to get to really firmly uh, to give us a firm idea of who Sela is. But again, if you're reading between the lines, you can again what you saw, what you're seeing, you can see that there's more there's there's more there's more vulnerability behind it than what we what we're just seeing on the surface. Mm-hmm. And again, I think Paloma's eye as a photographer is really capturing that, especially like when they meet they meet again earlier on at, at some point, and then she's she and again it's interesting that she doesn't use a digital camera. She uses like um, a film camera because she develops these pictures and Paloma is really great at finding moments that people aren't really performing. People are being themselves with the camera, mm-hmm. which is the, kind, which is the kind of photography that I um, in a guerrilla way kind of learned to do myself. There was a local photographer here. His name is Jeff. He used to do for, he used to do photography like that all the time. And I loved it. This was like in the MySpace days because he still had like a MySpace page. And I was right. just like, I spent hours <laughs> just looking at his photos because he would go to local shows and stuff like that and just take really great, like intimate photos of people. And then that inspired me so much to do photography myself. So I dabble in it. I'm not really, um, I'm, decent enough I need to do it a little bit more I haven't done it in years as far as like Mm -hmm. doing consistently but that's the kind of photography that I prefer to do I don't necessarily like poses I have a cousin who does really great fashion photography that's but that's like something that he's really good at but I like getting those those small moments and um, I think Paloma does that really great as well because you see um, you know Sela sees a picture of herself where she's not just doing anything she's just kind of just I think she's like leaning against the door kind of just Mm -hmm. maybe looking down we don't know her thoughts but we but we just to see a person, not this leader of this faction, this head of the spirit squad. We just see Sela and Paloma makes a comment. She's just like, that's what, like, I really like that photo or something like that. And I think, again, I, maybe that's because I've been trying to also grapple with why, why, why are they both so attracted to each other in a sense, um, friendship wise. And I think because Sela doesn't necessarily have to perform in front of Paloma necessarily. Like there's something, there's a little crack that like she wishes she could like I feel like I could maybe be myself with this person. I don't fully trust it. We don't see it in the film really. We don't but maybe there's a there's a crack in that like armor that she kind of presents to other people if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, and it's it's actually it's funny you bring that up because I I like that the the dynamic between the two and when they first meet um you know when Paloma's taking pictures of um 
or uh, Sela asks Paloma to take pictures of uh, two Tom and Bobby making out. And mm-hmm. she's kind of describing how it is at the school, like the whole layout, you know, everybody knows what everybody else is doing. And, you know, she's like, Bobby and two Tom are fine. They'll be fine with you taking pictures. And then she's basically, Sela says, you know, we're all cogs in this wheel. And then Paloma asks Sela what cog she is, and she doesn't answer her. And that, to me, was like, I'm like, oh, she likes Paloma, but she doesn't want to reveal too much to her, because then that's kind of letting her in on something that she doesn't want people to know about her, like that she's still controlling. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and that's... it's um... It's it's also kind of a deceptive move too. I think the last time I watched it, I was just like, oh, that's what she's doing because mm-hmm. she kind of she kind of purports like this this whole uh, photography visit, like oh, it's it's for a class, but she's really again, she's really just trying to uh, tug on Bobby's nerves a little bit. Like she's mm-hmm. she's trying to get under her skin. Like every, again, like, you're right because she's in that particular scene, she's in this mode of being deceptive and, you know, gaining leverage over someone she sees as her nemesis. So it's really hard to kind of, it's maybe, I'm again, maybe I'm just uh, interpreting this. Maybe she's just, maybe it's hard for her to, to break in that point again, because it's still early in her relationship, but also she's still, she's, she's in a particular mode right now in order to get something that she wants. She's a slippery one that Sella. Yeah, and because uh, I think it's funny because it's because Bobby is the more outwardly emotional one because again she's maybe because she's in the drama department and maybe they want and, and again I can't help but think that um, Tyresha was kind of playing on that idea. I'm like, oh yeah, the oh yeah, the drama kids or the theater kids they're so dramatic for lack of a better term. And so I think she I think she directed the actress to kind of play on that a little bit because I do see it, it. It does seem even more so kind of ham-fisted a little bit at times, but it kind of is, but it does fit with like the character and her personality. Um, because like at the point where like she, like when she exposes that she was like, it, it's a really short scene too. It's really um, one of those layered scenes. Cause I think you're following Paloma in that scene because mm-hmm. you see Bobby and Sella and, and Bobby's like yelling at her. She's like, you're so full of shit, blah, 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 blah. And then Sella is just really like monotone, just like, you know, calm down. Like you seem emotional right now. Like she does, she, she does that. Like, uh, what's the word? Uh, that patronizing. I don't know if that's the word. Like, yeah. And it's just uh, she and she you know she's doing that shit on purpose and I think that's really I thought that was kind of like it, it kind of made me snicker because like you like you know what you did we we all know what you did and um again as part of kind of it's crazy how that's like you know this is earlier in the movie so we're kind of seeing like this one side of this um of this character we're supposed to be uh following because again i one of the things i really like about the opening scene of this film like of course you see she does it really cool she has the um the the voiceover who like tells you about what these factions are and but you're not but you're, you're you're in a classroom and you're seeing it's, uh, there are these illustrations of them and they almost look like playing cards. I don't know if she's playing off the word spades with that. She probably yeah. is. Yeah. But like they're, they're presented as playing cards. And then like, the, but the first kind of like real like scene of a, of a actual character is Sela. And it's this really, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with this close-up shot. I just love it. It's just like, you are so, she's, she's literally in your face. Mm-hmm. And I love that about her. And you just, you see her face and it's, again, it's a very stoic, it's a very stoic expression. It's uh, it's an inquisitive one because she's kind of looking around a little, but still very controlled, very tight. Um, I just, I love even the imperfections. I love that she has, a, she has breakouts on her face. So she's got pimples mm-hmm. on her face. Like there's something about like the realness of 
and the rawness of like of this expression that um the actress has that I just really enjoy. And again, mm-hmm. from that, I don't know. I'm sure that was intentional, but from there on, you it, it's a kind of a vortex like that. This ethereal face is beautiful young girl just like you're just you you want to know everything about her and you're sucked into this world and I think the film as a whole does a really good job of giving you these many different sides of her yeah and seeing that beautiful face and then realizing how hard that exterior shell is like she's just really she's a tough girl and I mean I guess we'll get into this later but we'll see why in regards to her family but she's just like this hard girl and you think she's like a teenage girl with like you know typical teenage girl issues but no she's running this underground criminal activity you know this uh this faction this criminal faction and she's a tough girl so it's just it's really interesting how you see that and um just like how you know she's in the cute girly spirit outfit and it's very girly but she is completely the opposite yeah, I mean, I don't know, because it, it does because this film is not necessarily about gender or even sexuality at all. So that's an interesting mm-hmm. point. I mean, we can because one of the things that I I pointed out that when I was taking notes is that like even again, uh, Tyresha is doing these kind of like little subtle setups um, where, for example, like this, a scene that may seem innocuous really does have a lot of meaning to it. So when she's in the gym, another gym scene where there, she's sitting on the bleachers and she's not looking at anything. She literally she literally looks lost in thought and she's kind of maybe twiddling with one of her braids and like all and but all but what you see is all of the girls around her are having conversations with each other they're giggling they're maybe looking at it at a, at a yearbook or something like that they're just they're demonstrating these kind of typical teenage be, teenage girl behavior but she is just sitting there alone essentially and kind of just looks surrounded by all these girls surrounded by quote-unquote normalcy but Sella looks like she's beyond that behavior. She's beyond that. Like she's looking, it's like she's thinking ahead. She's always, she's always thinking ahead. You know what I mean? She's always, cause even with Bobby, like she's always, cause she knows Bobby is a threat in, in, in some way, shape, form or fashion to her. So like, even when she, she's, she's always thinking about how could she, she's always thinking 10 steps ahead. Like how could she get to someone before they get to her? with her mother I think that's an I think again that's an extension with her mother like you had mentioned like, like we don't we don't see her her biological father in this um but like again that's one of the one of the first scenes that we see is um she's getting ready for bed it seems and then someone says you know Stella your mom's on the phone and I think even in that like even when she kind of looks up from the mirror she kind of does she kind of she hesitates like she's just like mm-hmm. and you again you see that before but I think this particular scene really establishes it and you know she is, she's on the phone with her mother and she I think her mom goes how is calculus and she says well I got a 93 and her mother goes okay I have to set this up because this is this was funny to me so mm-hmm. so she says I got a 93 in calculus and then her mother goes what happened to the other seven points when I saw this at Black Star, every older black woman get they did the they did the black mother clutch pearl gasp because they were just like, is she for real? Did she like because I because I, I even felt it. And I'm not a mom, but like because when I heard that, I was just like, oh oh, like I was just like, oh your mom's like that, like you know what I mean? Like I'm not. I listen. And I'm sure these, I'm sure the way the crowd reacted to this movie, they felt the same way. I am not from. I did not grow up with a mother who expected perfection. I think 
I, I'm, and, I, and I count myself very fortunate. My mother wanted us to, first and foremost, be happy, but second and foremost, like have, like really have a level head about things. Like, <laughs> and what I mean about that is just like, you know, have a, have have direction, have have goals, and have positive goals. I think that's what um, my mother really wanted for us. So when I see people who are like crying because they got a B or like have these really hard ass parents, I feel kind of bad for them because I'm just like, I, that's just, that that's never been my reality. Um, and so when that happened to Stella, I was just like, it, it, it was kind of the first kind of jarring thing, I think, for the audience where it goes, oh, this is what she's working with. Yeah, it's it was pretty interesting because uh, I detected um, her mother has a slight West Indian accent. So for me, I was like, it was not cool at all, but it seemed a little familiar to me because I don't know if all West Indian kids like have parents like this, but I, I did, I, I kind of, it seemed familiar to me because my parents were, they were lovely people, but they were kind of tough on school because school is a big deal in the West Indies. And it's almost like, um, I think they had a lot of, uh, a lot of the British system uh, in the West Indies when it came to school. So it was pretty tough. And um yeah, I kind of remember one or two instances where I'm like, oh, I got, you know, B plus. I'm like, okay, well, you'll get a better grade later <laughs> next time. <laughs> I'm like, it wasn't cool. And I was just like, I was horrified. But also I'm like, meh, okay. I kind of, I could see that. I could see that coming in a way if her mother's West Indians. So, because West Indian mothers are a bit tough. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm I'm so regular black. It's, yeah. <laughs> It's regular. Like I, I am. Li- I was literally looking at my twenty three and me yesterday because I was listening to another podcast about um, Black Americans, uh, uh, you know, getting DNA tests. And I was like, let me look at mine again. And I'm looking at it. It's just, it's so, it is so painfully, <laughs> like in, in, a, in a good way. I'm so painfully regular Black. I'm so regular Black American. I am. I am a mix of maybe more than a dozen different African countries and. <laughs> European, like 82% African and then like 12% European and with all these other uh, traces of other um, cultures and places and ethnicities. It's like so regular black and I've been raised so regular black. And so, yeah, that's really that that that's a really foreign concept to me. It's just like, yeah, do well in school, but I'm not going to make you feel terrible if, if you're not good at something, you know, and I think that so and again, I but that kind of that kind of feels like that's the nature of Hodwell. Like Hodwell mm-hmm. feels like that prestigious boarding school where you are there because you are a, a step above a kid who goes to a quote unquote regular public school and perfection is needed. Perfection is key. And so to set that up for Sella, like a 93 on a calculus test is nothing to sniff at. It's still an A um, and you, you can still get into any school you want to if that's what you so desire. But, you know, it's really sad because like even in that particular conversation, it does seem like she wants to please her mother, but I'm not 100% sure. But the way she talks to her mother does seem like she's always walking on eggshells. And I just, and that's really kind of gut because that your parents should be or usually or, or are usually your first line of emotional support you know they, they it's not that they can't be um, dishonest with you I think they should be honest with you at all times they should be so they should give you these sobering truths to prepare you for the real world but they should never make you feel better bad about you know what I mean there should there should be encouragement where it is necessary and where it is justified and I don't think Sela is getting her emotional needs met and I think that feeds a lot into who she is as a 17 year old girl at this point in her life 
Well, and it's funny because it's you learn like a, a language when you're in a family and like a family unit. And I find particularly with strict parents, it's very hard to like my parents were lovely people and they had lots of fun. And, you know, they loved us, of course. But when they're trying to discipline you, there's like this barrier where you feel that you can't cross because of that. There's just the way you were raised. Oh, and, yeah. and, you know, you have to be a certain way, especially if you're a girl in a West Indian family. They try to lock you down, man. <laughs> lock you down. So, you know, you have to follow the rules. I was told to go to school and then get a nice job and then get a car and then you would get married. But like I kind of had to fill in the blanks. <laughs> so and, uh, that did not happen. You know, like it's kind of like that strictness that I saw with her mother as well. It was very strict. Like when she was coming home to her mom, I I think we were talking about this and you said that she was, um, was it that Phil went the, to the side door and then Stella went to the front? Yeah, her, her stepdad is Phil, yeah. Yeah. Because he, yeah, because the other telling thing is like, you know, and again, we don't know why he, why he picked her up instead of her mother, but yeah, with, with everything the film is telling us, it makes sense that he would pick her up and not her mom. Yeah, he, I was going to say that Phil, what we, the few seconds we see of him, he seems very pleasant. Um, he seems like a nice guy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he goes into the, he goes into the side, he actually goes in the side door because they drive up to the driveway and he goes into the side door and then, you know, she hesitates. Like, she was like, well, should I go in? Because, but no, she's trying to prolong having to face her mother again. So, the, again, the camera follows her. And she's kind of slowly meandering her way towards going into into the front door instead of that side door. Because it's more, she's making distance between her and her mother. Because mm. she does, she's really dreading the inevitable. Like, she can't, again, it goes back to her initial monologue, mon- monologue with Paloma. Like, she doesn't have any, she doesn't have any autonomy when it comes to her mother. Her mother thinks she, her mother, again, thinks she knows what's right for her and wants to make all the decisions for her. And it's not, fa- it, honestly, at 17, that's not fair. Like, you can't, like, all of that, that kind of low-key tyranny is just going to push your child away or it's going to distort their ideas of maybe affection, maybe attachment, all of these intimacy like that's a big one all of these things are gonna just kind of just kind of screw with you and that's again i think everyone who sees this movie goes oh that's why she is the way she is mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and her her mother like when she greets her husband or her partner so warmly like she kind of giggles when she sees phil like a little schoolgirl. and then when Sella comes in like her demeanor changes and it's I don't know. It's very sad, you know, that she's, I mean, now we don't know if Sela's done stuff in the past to have her mother treat her that right. way. Right. Yeah. But you don't really, I mean, it's your child. Like, sure, you want to be tough on her and, you know, and then the fact that Sela um, didn't respond to the her college, right? And she's like, I just wanted to take some time to think. And her mother's like, nope, <laughs> you don't get that time to think. You're doing what I tell you. And it's, I don't know. It's it's really sad. Yeah, you're right. You that's a good point. Um, I've had I've I have a sibling quite like that where oh, I haven't seen the change just yet. And you know he's 29 years old. But well, I'm not going to get into that. That's not this podcast. But like, yeah, 
like just you know maybe had like you know maybe a little bit of an unruly uh past a little bit so they're still trying to build up the level of kind of trust and an understanding that's definitely very well possible um but you know it's interesting this this story doesn't really go into that and it doesn't necessarily have to um mm-hmm. we're, we're we're allowed to have these conversations we're allowed to think well you know maybe her mother is giving her a hard time for no reason or maybe there is a reason we don't necessarily know but mm-hmm. but we but what we do see is like yeah her mom's pretty her mom's kind of on a harsh side you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but even through that like you know cuz i i guess again i think we see this really manifest itself with um how she treats other people and again yeah, I keep reminding myself we're jumping around quite a bit, but yeah, because mm-hmm. I I think it's really interesting because we haven't really gotten got got into Maxie. And I think her her relationship with Maxie is really uh is really uh, is really important too because again when we first see we first see Maxie, he is definitely her her right hand man. So when when we first see them kind of having a meeting of the factions, it's like you know Bobby mentions that this chick this chick <laughs> this young girl named tila <laughs> and <laughs> i that's vernacular that i can't shake but we see she talks about this girl named tila and then you know Sela goes oh, do, okay uh, okay so bobby do you have something to say and uh the other i forget her name i just oh my god the girl who runs the skins i forget her name forgive me but oh, she kind yeah. of yeah, she kind of says, you know, we 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 decided as you know, we decided as a group that we wouldn't really bring up Tila again. And then you see Maxie kind of like, you know, he he does that thing where he kind of like, yup, see, he he, he gestures with the with the book where they where kind of where they kind of have that rule like, see, this is where it is, Bobby. And it's yeah. inter- like he does all of these things like she like she whispers to Maxie, and then like uh, there's another scene where you see them kind of like where you see her and Maxie kind of like she kind of like walking and she puts her arm around his arm you know what I mean she's like these these, these these like gestures that like they are really her, that's a person she can trust that's a person that she loves they can have these conversations about even people in their in their own particular faction that she you know they have this good rapport mm-hmm. but when Tarek comes to her with there might be a rat in your faction and there's or there's this kind of contentment um dis- discontentment I guess with the fact that like Maxie finds another girl attractive and then they happen to start dating that's nori and you know all because again i think you mentioned it before like all these little things like where paloma was talking to nori once where she like called to maxi like to talk to talk shop and then paloma goes back up to sella and says yo oh nori seems kind of cool and then <laughs> and then Stella goes, Nori's eh. Like, you know, she, I like the other girl better. Like she just like mm-hmm. that 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 schoolgirl stuff. Like, you know, it's like while Stella's not a typical teenager, she very much is. Yeah, she still has that jealousy. Like, I mean, I've had um friends got get jealous because I was friends with somebody else, you know? I'm like, really? I mean, this is grade school, and it's like, well, can't we all just kind of hang out? But yeah, there was that jealousy, even though Sella doesn't seem to be and doesn't want to be focused on boys. She just wants to be focused on schoolwork and and taking care of her faction. She still has that little bit of jealousy, that little twinge. And it's funny that, you know, going back to her mom talking about Maxie, and I'm, it's a bit of a spoiler here, but that stupid proverb that her mom told her about the scorpion and the frog. Yeah. And I, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, because I hate, I hate that shit. I hate it. I'm like, just leave me alone. I don't want to hear these stupid proverbs, you know. But she, her mom's basically preparing her for betrayal. And again, it reminded me of my my mom. Like she was like, oh, don't trust anybody. Uh, you know, like she kind of gave me the the hard line so that I could be 
quote unquote stronger out in the real world, but it did quite work. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. But yeah, like seeing Sela with all the factions and all the leaders and everybody and seeing like this kind of, I don't know, like the inner workings, that's a really good setup for betrayal, you know? Absolutely. I think, yeah, because I, I, there's a part of Sella that didn't want us to ever think that Maxie would ever betray her. And he really didn't. He just got sloppy, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and that was the thing. And because I think, but I think that when that happened, first of all, that was ruthless as all get out because, of course, okay, so a little, little bit of backtracking. They have to, so this boarding school takes place in Pennsylvania and it's outside of Philadelphia, but it's still Philadelphia adjacent, still like, you know, commutable. So they mentioned, so she mentions, I think, to Paloma about like, you know, they pick up their supply in Fishtown and she says, you never go to Fishtown alone. And it's funny because when I saw the Black Star, we all started laughing because we all know. <laughs> Because most of us, most of us are Philadelphians, and Fishtown is, of course, one of those uh, was for a very long time a very undeveloped, very poor neighborhood um, that's now being heavily gentrified. It's honestly it's still one of the best. Now it's with gentrification, it's one of the best places you can get like certain types of foods and things like that. Like, of course, because gentrification is bringing in um, you know cheap property and better stuff but it's pushing people out and i think the i think the demographic of fishtown has commonly been very also very working class poor immigrants european immigrants and latinx folks so that's kind of that was kind of the general makeup of fishtown i worked in another i worked in a neighborhood very close to that about 10 years ago now a long time ago and it was really rough like i'm lucky to have gotten home to and from the subway every day I, I went there without getting mugged or accosted like honestly it was it was pretty bad so so to see so to see what happens in the film when everything that happens with Maxie realizing that like he got the the ledger the ledger that they use in order to keep track of what people order it, that got out and some people photocopied it she blamed it on Maxie rightfully so I believe and, you know, she forced him to go to, again, she doesn't have to be that typical school bully. She does it in a very kind of, like, you know what I mean? Like, she has people really do the dirty work for her, where mm. she's just kind of the person that kind of, like, you know, set, says things. Like, so, for example, like, when she tells Maxie, oh, you know, me and Paloma are busy, you have to go to Fishtown alone. And he's like, wait a minute, since when? Why? Like, and she's like, yeah. no, no, but no, but you can handle it. Like, and she does it like that way. So it's, it's in a way where they have such a firm rapport that he just does it because it's Sela and like, he still feels beholden to her. He doesn't, he doesn't question that. Like he just still yeah. does it, even though he knows it's dangerous and it ends up being dangerous. And then when he comes in and he's bloody and bruised, she just, her face doesn't change. Her face is stone cold. And then goes up to him and like slaps down um, all the photocopies of the ledger. Like that's just, again, I I love when films don't have to tell you what's going on. It just, it it shows you through the characters. And then they have that, then they have that conversation where she's, again, I think you, I think you mentioned it. She like scolds him like he's a child, like, and she's Mm -hmm. the, she's the parent. Again, it's kind of, she's playing out a power dynamic that she, her mother has probably given her herself. Or that you've seen her because his head is down and he doesn't really have anything to say for himself except that he made a mistake. But then he kind of looks up and he's like, you know what? I- I'm done with this because you have a you have a problem with you not being the center of attention, with you and your concerns not being the center of everyone else's concerns. Yeah, and I think that's, that's actually really interesting thinking about 
the scene with her and her mom and then her and Maxie, seeing her mimicking her mother almost with Maxie and how, you know, he's been a bad boy, basically. Mm -hmm. So, but his reaction is what Sela probably wanted to do to her mom. She probably wanted to say, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to go to the school I want to go to. I want to think about things first. But she's not allowed to do that. But Maxie has control of his own life, even though he may do her bidding. So it's like kind of cool to see that um, going down and like the two, the mirroring of those scenes. Absolutely. So yeah, it was again, it was one of those revelation moments where he was able to read her just like, you know, she was in a sense reading him. It's just like, you know, I I don't he realizes like I don't have to put up with this and I think and again him choosing to start to start to date I think it was also a little bit maybe a little bit of a hint because when he when he says in his speech about you know talking about talking with her he may have may have at one time or maybe even still he's just like you know I wish Stella liked me like the way I kind of like her because I would go for it if she was interested Mm -hmm. but she clearly was not and he was content with the friendship but you know, he wanted to date too. He wanted to meet other girls and Sella couldn't, Sella couldn't stand that. And again, she didn't have the same feelings for him. Maybe like, I think there's like, there's, we get hints that he may have been interested in dating her at one time, but realizes that she's not interested in dating. So he's going to look at other girls, like any other straight teenage, straight teenage guy would want to do, want to see other girls. And, you know, she can't, I've seen this on social media. This is like a big, this is kind of a big discussion, whether what is, is Sela asexual or Sela queer because of that scene that she has with Paloma, where she kind of talks about, I forget who brings it up first. Dating, I think it, like, yeah, it was, uh, it was, I think it was, uh, I think, um, oh, it was uh, Paloma. She asks her about uh, Maxie and if they're dating and she's like, oh right. no. Right. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I don't do that. And she's like, I don't date. She's not interested in sex and dating. And you know, uh, Oh, no. And then she asks Paloma if, oh, have you ever done any of that stuff? And the thing is, is she doesn't say having sex. She doesn't say like, oh, have you slept with anybody? She doesn't even call it anything. She just calls it stuff. Yeah. So she she says, like, you know, um, I see girls crying in a bathroom and I just think to myself, you know, why don't you just do things that don't have you crying or don't stop you from crying or something like that? Mm -hmm. Again, that was another chuckle from the crowd when I saw it. But um, yeah, that's just that's just. Um, her personality that's just I think because I, I first read that I'm like oh okay she's asexual because uh, I, I, and again uh, Tyresha did not want to have a story that focused on uh, sex or relationships like she just wanted to tell a different kind of teenage story because yeah almost how many teenage stories can we count that don't focus on sex or dating at some point in the story right yeah it, and I, I actually really like that that it wasn't based on like these heteronormative rules about who you should date and who you should spend time with and uh, like um I think I saw like a Twitter thread one time where these three women they weren't married so they just bought houses next to each other and they made like their own little single gal camp- compound and that was their family you know so that didn't follow these rules that were set out for everybody you know you have to get married you have to buy a house you have to marry a man and this and that so I really like that this was ambiguous. They could have liked each other. They, they could have, you know, not. I really like that amb- ambiguity. It's kind of, you know, everybody's been hiding their, what they like and what their leanings are. And sometimes it's not all straight, you know, 
uh, using the word straight, but it's not um, clear cut. It's, you know, maybe you're attracted to somebody because of their personality and maybe not because of their gender. So it's just really interesting and refreshing to see that, that it's not focused on someone trying to get it in, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, especially for a teenage... Yeah, because we have an overabundance with teenage shows that do that. Like, it's funny, I was listening, like, sidebar, I was listening to a podcast, and th- these were... Um, Two men and two women, but the men were like, well, no, one of the one of the men, and just like just the discomfort of like Euphoria on HBO. I don't know if you've seen that show or not. Oh, I haven't but yet. No, I've, it's I've heard just, it's good though. Yeah, yeah, I, I I enjoyed the first season. It's very balls to the wall as far as like you know the exploration of sexuality and how teenagers navigate those terrains, and so. One of the guys is just like, dude, I don't want my 12 year old watching this. Like he has a daughter, like they both, like both of the men have daughters. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, I just, I'm just saying like the idea of um, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of teenage angsty type stuff, um, media to consume that really does hone in on sex. Even I think every generation has it. Um, every generation has an American pie or what is one for like you Gen Xers? Oh. Like. Meatballs? Oh, uh, meatballs, <laughs> meatballs, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think anything with Phoebe Cates. <laughs> All the guys loved her. <laughs> yeah, like every, like, so this is, this is so not that movie. And I think that's, I don't know, maybe that's why this is such like a hot button uh, topic or part of this, of, of the topic of this film is that like, yeah, this is a movie that doesn't focus on that at all. This is, this is a, this is a very human story about a multifaceted young black girl and how she navigates this bubble of a boarding school and being the head of a faction, being a senior and not knowing what her life is going to be next and really focusing on the control of that. Even so, even with her friendship with Paloma and Maxie, it is about, there's this level of fear of intimacy and fear of friendship because she hasn't had, she hasn't had the best, possibly the best examples of how, what that looks like and how it's not, you know, you don't control your friends. Like you don't have, like that doesn't, that's not what friendship is. And again, that goes to a particular scene where they do find out like, it's not, Again, that, that Maxie was not a rat per se, but that he was just sloppy with um, the ledger. And this kid from, I think, the the prefects got a hold think- of the yeah, he got a hold of the book and thought it would be funny to photocopy the ledger, but no, that's a serious offense. And then, you know, the whole way they deal with these kind of tra- transgressions is um, by just beating the snot out of people. That's what the other uh, spades do. And Sella, you know, even though Paloma is not comfortable with that, you know, Sella leverages their friendship with that like if you don't do this then we have there's nothing more to this and that was that was really cold and I think that's just the way I think that's the only way she she doesn't she doesn't realize that like you know your relationships with people that you like and love aren't conditional necessarily and I don't think she really understands that that's you know that doesn't have to be that way yeah it's true. And I think she, you know, she shows that she's so powerful and, and she controls people, but she's under so much pressure. And it's funny because when you look at Paloma and how she deals with pressure, she's much better equipped. You know, she, uh, there's that scene again when Sela's looking in the mirror at the ba- in the bathroom and Paloma tells her she doesn't have to be this perfect. You don't have to be perfect all the time. And, you know, Sella's like, yeah, I know, I know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I know, you know, like, she's, that, the whole concept of not being perfect is such a, it's so foreign to her. And for Paloma, who just seems kind of like this, you know, 
earthy kind of, you know, I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. But she actually is very smart and better equipped to deal with these with with things that may not fit her plan a lot better than than say Sela does because if something steps out of line she just hits the hard line and she's like she's smacking Maxi down whereas I wonder if Paloma you know would have done the same thing I don't think she would have no definitely not I think their ideological differences is what kind of breaks them apart I think that's what transitions Mm -hmm. us into the third act Mm because you can kind of see this kind of uh, dissension between the two and they have different approaches and different ways of doing things and Sella doesn't like that and I think um, and again I think that that's what goes to like the backstory that we hear from Bobby about this young lady named Tila and uh, what we realize is that you know Sella drugged her and she got uh, she got into an accident that did property to the school and she got expelled and so I think that was kind of where the film was going to, where, where her, where her behavior was going to head. And it sure enough did um, mm-hmm. because she does, she, she drugs Paloma at, at the prom thing. Like they had like a kind of a, a, a mock-up prom because their prom was canceled because mm-hmm. like Jesse, Jesse Williams's character was kind of just sick of like all of this, this, these factions and this bullying. And he feels like eh, to really smack the hammer down on all of this. I'm just going to cancel prom, this prom and the, all of these activities that you guys want, that you guys want to have, but you've taken advantage of, you know, just the privilege of being here and things like that. And so there's this, so he, so Jesse, Jesse Williams does this like voice, long voiceover speech where you're seeing like the, the visuals of all of the, of all of the different factions. And I think that was, I think that speech was really interesting before we really get into it, mm. before we really get into the third part between Sela and Paloma. I kind of snickered at it when I was really, when I was really watching this film to kind of read more into it. It was just like, yo, he's kind of just talking about these kids. Like, you know, you need to do better. You need to be this, uh, these upstanding people. And I'm just like, he's like, the world is not the way this is. And I'm just like, no, the world is exactly the way these factions operate. Even though they are separated from the world, so to speak, they are very much in tune with how it operates and how it works. Because if these, I think it just if we kind of have these kind of general idea, um, um, thoughts about what a boarding school does, a boarding school sets up these kids to go to Ivy Leagues. Ivy Leagues have all of these kind of different factions in and of themselves that gives these kids access and opportunities to do big and grand things in government and entertainment and all of these different things. These kids are these kids know exactly what they're getting into. These kids are have an understanding of government and how the world operates. And so say to like say this in this like monologue and to say, quote unquote, be better, they're being what the world is and better Mm -hmm. is subjective. Maybe they maybe, maybe not. I mean, I don't know. I just I I just think that these factions is just how the government operates is how the mob mobs operates, how corporations operate like they they've got it figured out. They do. And I I think that (laughs) that's like probably the best place for them to 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 learn how to to move within that the world you know I mean or the only thing I would think about is being a black woman when she gets out into the world she has all this power in this little insular bubble but when she gets out into the real world I wonder how that would translate I think that's the only thing that I would question but I think that the principal is completely clueless even though he does see you know when they went to that party and they broke into I don't know if it was like a a classroom that was being renovated or something, but they had the party and then they're like campus security. So everybody like, you know, scrams 
And then you see the next day, the principal, the headmaster is like checking out the place where they had the party. So he knows, but it's like he still is turning a blind eye to, I guess maybe that's just how it is with, with adults. They don't see, even though they were teenagers as well, they don't see the intricacies of navigating a teenage life, especially this this life at Haldwell. Like he has he has no idea. And like the fact that he surprised them, they pull that prank and they put all those different colored cups of water on the stairs <laughs> that he's just like, I don't know. I'm just like, do you not see that you're working with these little evil geniuses? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and that shutting down a prom is not really going to affect them because they're going to find a way around it. And that's how it is in the real world. People find ways around things. I don't know. That's that's right on the money. Like, yeah, I can't even, that's what, that's exactly what I would say, what I would think for sure. And he's new. And again, like they say, like, um, Sella says earlier in the film, just like, you know, if he's so concerned with, um, trying to make a name for himself, why didn't he just go to Pence or I guess that's another school. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like they're just like, she's so like Sella in particular, so unfazed by what he does in any of his actions. Um, I don't know. Was he, I think she was even the person at the, at the factions meeting about the, about the prom cancellation who just said, you know, um, we have plenty of parties or whatever. Like, like, why is this? Who cares? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Paloma. Yeah, she's it's, She's like, yeah, we'll just do it somewhere else, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so, and I think the um, the girl who runs the skin, she was just like, well, this is prom. This is more of a big deal. And again, for someone who's not interested in dating or like that, like, yeah, I, I can see why Stella wouldn't be so caught up in the prom. She doesn't mm-hmm. really care, even though she looks absolutely stunning mm-hmm. with. First of all, I could I could never even when I had locks, I could never get it in a bun that perfect. Like <laughs> that's that takes so much time. And this girl has very long braids, and I'm just like, how did you get it in a bun by yourself like that? It looks so good. <laughs> so, oh my god! But yeah, I mean, she looked. She, I mean, this. She, if I look like you couldn't tell me nothing if I look like Cella as a teenager. Okay. Yeah. Yep. You can tell me nothing. So, um, yeah, she just, she, but she's just, yeah, you're right. She's more interested in other things. And also another great point that she mentioned is, yeah, what, what would it look like in the real world for Sella, um, coming out of college? Like, I don't know. Now there is going to be an Amazon television series based on the movie that is currently in development. So I don't know how far Tyresha and company are going to take the film, like, or take the series. Like, I don't know if it's Mm going to go beyond Caldwell or not, we we'll, we'll see. But yeah, it should be interesting. I'm interested in seeing it. But I think for as far as the film, yeah, I, Paloma again, she is she she thinks differently than Sella, and again that kind of shoots that kind of shoots her in the foot in like the finale in the climax where Sella Sella drugs um the plastic flask that she has or whatever and yeah. like gives it to her. Uh, I don't know what kind of drug that is, but it's something that really gets you really fucked up if you take too much of it. But uh, <laughs> clearly, man, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I don't know what the kids are taking these days. So. <laughs> and she just, yeah, I mean, I just, I, 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 I fear for the children because she's so skinny. I'm like, you can handle all the, all those drugs or just as long as, as long as you're still alive at the end. Like, again, like if I, if I was a mother and I had a teenager, I, there, there's going to be a point in our relationship where it's just going to be like, look, uh, I raised you to be a certain way or to have certain values. Um, but you're still who you, you're still you, who you are and I can't control your behavior and I'm not going to try to, mm-hmm. um, you do what you can do 
not that you can necessarily do whatever you want, but at the same time, you know what I mean? But like, you're going to make your own decisions, whether I like them or not, you know, that's going to happen. And I just, you know, I just hope you learn from them. If you do recognize them as mistakes and I'm going to be here for you when to tell you that you were wrong in the first place. Like, I think that's kind of, that's kind of my approach. And I think like, even with these kids and these drugs, I'm just like, at the same, like my bottom line would be just come home alive. I don't know. I just, yeah, I can't, yeah. that's the only thing. Like, and I just like, it was, I think that was, I think that was the, kind of the scary part for Cella because she was just like, cause she had, she put something in her drink and then I think it was Bobby. was just like, Hey, you want to hit it this? And Loma was like, sure. And then Cella was like, no, like she yeah. had like, one of, <laughs> she had that kind of thought going through her head. Yeah. She was like, oh shit. Like this could be more serious than the last time I did this, you know? And she, that's why she went to Maxi because she was really, I think she was really kind of concerned. And that's that little bit of her losing control again. Like she's losing her footing. And it's funny because, yeah, like, you know, her mother doesn't want her to make mistakes. She wants her to be the perfect girl. But she is, and and Sela doesn't want to make mistakes. But she's also in this really flawed system in the school, I guess, which is, I mean, world systems are flawed. They're not, nev- nothing's ever perfect. So to see Sela kind of realizing that as well, like there's never a perfect plan, you know? So mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting too with um, when, when she's, she's like, well, I'm going to do this to Paloma and this is what's going to happen. And it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> it's like you can't control that outcome. That was a really good moment to see that uh, Sela... You know, maybe your some of your decisions and your control freak behavior, it's not the best thing for people around you. So absolutely. And Maxie, again, is kind of this kind of sobering chorus of like, you can't keep doing this. Mm-hmm. So and again, she's still even to even to the bitter end, she had a very difficult time accepting the fact that she made a mistake. She she just didn't want to do it. She just kept saying, I just did it to make you humble and, you know, trying to, you know, force Maxie not to say anything. And he's like, no, I'm not listening to you anymore. Like, I, if you won't tell her, I will. Mm-hmm. And then even Paloma, again, she's her own person. She hits her and causes mm-hmm. some damage, a little bit of damage. She draws blood, which, you know, for a skinny girl, I wish I was that heavy handed as, yeah. as a girl with thinner <laughs> arms. I wish I could yep. hit that hard. But yeah, I mean, that's what happens. And, you know, towards the end, somebody had made a, I, I had a, had some friends watch this movie too. Cause I have, I'm having, like when I love a movie, I'm like, everyone needs to see this. And so we watched it together and they were just like, yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure about her entirely throughout this entire movie, but then that very last scene made me go, I see, I see a glimmer. I see something there because there's something, there's something more raw and human in that one particular moment. I think that's why the movie ends the way it does. Again, because mm-hmm. we we talked about the whole breaking the fourth wall the entire throughout the throughout this entire um, movie, and she does it in that very last scene where she looks at the camera. There's another scene before that. I think the the last scene that we see her look at the camera is when she her her and Maxie have that falling out. And again, the camera does a really great job of kind of we're following Cella. We're always we're always with Cella more or less, and so we're following her. And um, she was following her, like, you know, go up the stairs, go to her dorm room, and you can see she's crying. And she's not doing that fake crying where she's just like, she's not crying over something very superficial. She's crying because she feels like she, in my opinion, she feels like she lost a friend. She feels like she's in conflict with herself with that scene where she's just like, well, he fucked up, so I can't mess with him anymore. But then at Mm -hmm. the same time, like, but no, I really like this person and he was my friend and I don't know how to express 
that yeah. I yeah. still want to be friends with him, even though we had this little tiff. Like this, mm-hmm. it, like it, like whatever whatever relationship they had is beyond the spades, and mm-hmm. but she doesn't know how to articulate that or know how to express that. So these tears come out. She's in her room alone, and then she looks at again. She looks at us, the audience, to kind of like let us in. Like mm-hmm. I think she's letting us in when she has those glances with us. Like we're supposed to look more into her when she does that. Yeah, she's probably, I would have to say, one of the most fascinating characters I've seen in a long time. There's so much to her, and there's so many influences that kind of bombard her, and she's still trying to keep it together, and she's so young. Like, she's one of the most fascinating characters I've seen to in, in a long time. I, you know, my hat's off to the um, Tarisha Poe. She did an incredible job writing this character and directing the character because we messaged each other and talked about this film for days you know yeah yeah um so again the last scene was with all three of them like together because like you know they so paloma's a little bit you know she's a little wasted and out of her and out of sorts but then like maxi it's, it's interesting how Maxie kind of immediately kind of comes in to kind of like, you know, make sure that she's okay and to kind of rescue her. And they all, all three of them, even though they've had their little spats, um, Maxie and Paloma have had spats, Sella uh, and Paloma have had spats, Maxie and Sella have had spats. Like they all, even though all of this has happened and everything is not quote unquote okay, they still come together at the end and kind of a mini crisis to kind of like, you know, help each other. It's like, again, even the direction with them, everybody's kind of holding onto each other's kind of arms a little bit everybody there's this kind of support again that's mm-hmm. i think that's that could be read as also not just physical support whatever support that they need at that moment internally is there as well and again she looks at the camera and then it cuts the cr- and then Sella, her face is kind of bloody her nose is a little bit bloody and she kind of looks very vulnerably into the camera and then, it, and then the credits roll and mm-hmm. i think that i because yeah when i first saw i'm like that's an interesting ending and then i think as we talk about it it makes a lot more sense now mm-hmm. yeah you know, it was a very stylized film. Like, it was, like, pure storytelling. And the way it ended, I, I thought it was perfect. Because with this particular story, you you can't have a, a tidy ending. Like, you can't. And actually, I was afraid that Sela was going to kill Paloma. But she's not that bad of a person, you know? She really <laughs> isn't that bad of a person. She's not going to kill this girl. She just wants her to kind of know who's in charge. Yeah, I never thought she was good. I never had ideas she was going to kill her. Like, maybe accidentally, yeah. but not, not intentionally. Like, that, she, it's funny. Even in, in, on first watch, I never thought she was that ruthless. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm glad. I'm, well, yeah, let's thank God it didn't end up with anyone, anything tragic like that. And I don't know. I, I can't say whether or not that would have brought the movie down in my mind, so to speak. But mm-hmm. I, I, it, it, I think it ended uh, I, I perfectly, I guess is the right word. Like, I, like it's... Sometimes we, sometimes, especially as us as critics, we kind of hesitate to use the word perfect, but um, (laughs) I kind of want to say that this movie is damn near perfect. Um, It's Mm -hmm. funny because my friend, another friend of mine follows me on Letterboxd and she, she noticed that I had been watching um, the the film and she was like, for you to give something five stars. I'm like, yeah, I mean, because I'm getting to a point, like I'm, I'm kind of a curmudgeon a little bit. It's kind of, I'm (laughs) slightly hard to please. Yeah. And this movie really does it for me tenfold. Um, before we kind of wrap up, there's one kind of symbol that really sticks out to me that I wanted to bring up. Did you have anything before I get into it? Um, no, I think that, looking at my notes, I think that's 
pretty much it. I wanted that- to bring up the idea of the wicker chair. because mm-hmm. So Stella, in a few scenes, you see her sit outside. She's in this this plush green surrounds her and she's sitting in this wicker chair in her spirit her spirit squad uniform and she's sitting there and it's very very regal stance to her um she she does look like the boss bitch she does you know there's a power and there's a royalty to it to it and i was interested i'm like what is it about the wicker chair because i've seen this symbol before and the wicker chair in a sense kind of represents a a throne and Mm -hmm. the wicker chair itself has been used throughout like a lot of you see it a lot of 1970s like album covers but one of the most powerful scenes of the wicker chair that i've seen that i that i know of and i've seen is the one of huey p newton and it's a photo that became a symbol of the black panther movement i think he's sitting in a wicker chair he has he's holding a rifle in one hand basically he is in, in his black panther regalia and everything like that he's kind of sitting in this chair it's um a very powerful it's always been a powerful symbol to me um vis- visually of the black panther movement and uh, the, pe- the peacock chair that we see Sella in was developed in 1920. And it's also a chair that has been used um, in portraits as kind of a, a, a prop for powerful and influential people to sit in. And so it's been used in a lot of o- older photography as well as in the 1970s, of course. So and I just I just think those, if we're, we're thinking about this film and kind of how it brings it all together, I think that's really, um, I think that's a really powerful symbol. I think also the wicker chair specifically kind of looks like it's in kind of the shape of a spade as well. So mm-hmm. um kudos to Tyresha to using um, a lot of those kind of symbols um, using that particular symbol in this film um, also what I like about so when she does con- when Stella and Paloma do confront the uh, the prefect that had been that had photocopied the ledger she mentions so there it's, it's in the so it's on this it's on the stage in the in the theater department and Paloma, I think Paloma asks, like, what play are they doing this 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 spring or this year? And she says Macbeth. And Macbeth is, oh my goodness, I totally forget. But Macbeth, because my because my fr- I'm, I'm not a Shakespeare person, so forgive me. But it, Macbeth is really about power and the seizing of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, yeah, seizing of the po- of power and like hanging on to the power, and then this paranoia of you know who's coming for me next kind of thing. So. Because, like, basically, Macbeth um, was told he was going to be king. And so then his wife, Lady Macbeth, uh, starts killing people so that he can be king. And then once he's there, he's like, ah, who's coming for me now? So it's kind of like this struggle for power. I mean, I can't, my Shakespeare is very rusty, but I believe that's what I had read. That is basically the struggle for power and trying to keep it. Yeah, which fits, 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 fits perfectly in the overall film and in that particular mm. scene. So like the damaging psych, psychological effects of the ambition of those who seek power, in mm-hmm. a sense, is right. what we're kind of working with That's here. It's like perfect, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those were the, yeah, so I, the, the, I just wanted to point those two things out because we could not, I could not end that conversation without um, showing how mm-hmm. beautifully symbols and objects are used with it without this entire film. There's more to it, of course. I like I've heard I've had conversations with other people talk about how the framing of certain um, scenes with Paloma and Sela, mm-hmm. um, and dark darkness and light, um, colors, like all of these things are just like again. This is one of those films, like a lot of a lot of films that are really done well, that just like puts those that gives you those nuggets of like gold of like symbols that you can that we can have these conversations with and feel smarter and feel mm-hmm. invigorated by the language the language of film. Uh, it also reminds me in university, I have a minor in drama studies, and it really had that morality play structure where they kind of set up the characters. I think I might be wrong, 
it could be Chaucer, but those old school morality plays where they're like, these are the skins, these are the seas, they they represent all the vices, and this is what happens when they uh, when they affect people, and this is the outcome, you know. And even though it's more of a modern outcome and it's really ambiguous, it really did make me think of a morality play. I think it was really brilliantly done that she had um, Teresha had all these aspects of, of of theater and film and and symbolism. I think it, she did an amazing job. Absolutely. Anything else before we wrap up? No, I think that's it. Yeah. That Can't is our show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, next time, uh, Carolyn will pick a film she's obsessed with and we will talk about it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ashley Takes Note. Carolyn? Uh, you can find me at VFD Pixie on the Twitters. And I've got a series coming out called In Plain Sight, just about Afrofuturism in films and films that we should probably be promoting especially in this day and age with black characters and the film should be recognized all right um until next time bye see you peace bye